0: Wednesday, May 11th, 2022. The 476th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Before we get started today, I just want to mention the great American patriot Mike Lindell and his great American company My Pillow. Right now, you can go to MyPillow.com, use the promo code REASONABLE, and get up to 60% off all sorts of items in the store if you want to make your sleep more comfortable, your feet more comfortable, your home more comfortable. Go to MyPillow.com, grab a mattress pad, some Giza Dream sheets, some slippers, some towels, some pillows. MyPillow.com, promo code REASONABLE. You will be supporting this show, supporting the great Patriot Mike Lindell, and supporting a great American manufacturing company. So let's get into it. Last night, there was a primary election in Nebraska. And today, the mainstream media is rejoicing in a tiny way. This is from Newsweek. Donald Trump's 55-0 primary winning streak finally ends. This is by Ewanon Palmer. We haven't talked about Anon in a long time. But he's back to tell us how much of a failure the America First movement is and how we're probably all QAnon's. Donald Trump's run of endorsing the eventual winners in the GOP primaries has come to an end after his pick in the Nebraska gubernatorial primary lost. Charles Herbster, the longtime Trump ally, the former president appointed as chair of his agricultural committee in 2016, lost to Jim Pillen a University of Nebraska regent endorsed by outgoing term limited governor Pete Ricketts. Pillen was projected to win with more than 33.5 percent of the GOP vote when the election was called by the Associated Press just under two and a half hours after polls closed. Herbster came in second with 28.6 percent of the vote at that time. Herbster's loss in Nebraska means that Trump's 55 and 0 streak of choosing winners in the GOP primaries has ended with 22 of his picks in Ohio and 33 in Texas previously winning their respective races. It should be noted that especially in Texas, a number of these candidates were already the overwhelming favorite to win their election before they were endorsed by Trump, such as with Republican Governor Greg Abbott. So the implication here is that Trump is basically just front running. He is just latching on to whoever the winner will probably be. And he's gotten lucky. The power of Trump's endorsement could be better seen in the Senate primary in Ohio, where his preferred candidate J.D. Vance went from being third in the polls to achieving a clear victory after Trump announced the hillbilly elegy author as his pick just a few weeks before the polls opened. So sometimes the endorsement works. However, it appears that voters in Nebraska could not look past the sexual assault allegations that emerged against Herbster and torpedoed his chances. The allegations first reported by the Nebraska Examiner alleged that Herbster assaulted and groped eight women between 2017 and 2022. Herbster denied the claims, described them as libelous fake news and a political hit piece orchestrated by Ricketts and Pillin, which both men denied. And obviously, Trump accepted Herbster's denial and agreed with his denial and agreed that it was a political hatchet job by Pete Ricketts, who is very much a 100 percent establishment rhino. He is the son of the founder of TD Ameritrade, and he is a part owner of the Chicago Cubs. And Jack Posobiec posted about this last night on Telegram and I assume Twitter. The Ricketts machine in Nebraska was behind Pillen while Trump was behind Herbster. Thibodeau was originally Herbster's running mate, then dropped out and ran as a spoiler against him. And the machine won. And Posobic showed the results last night. This is with 68.1% of the votes counted. Herbster was behind by about 8,400 votes. And Teresa Thibodeau, the person who is going to be Herbster's running mate and then dropped out. Had Almost 11,000 votes. So those votes right there would have covered that difference. And that's what Poso is implying. The term machine politics is more interesting now than it used to be. Machine politics used to refer to the political operation and the power of the political operation to exert its will in elections. In various places all over the country, there's a Chicago machine for the Democrats. There's a Philadelphia machine for the Democrats, a Baltimore machine. And that used to be the term that was used. The machine has the money and the access and the influence. They know how to operate their system. They know how to, quote unquote, get out the vote when it really matters. And of course, they are tied in to the election fraud machine. And that's why I'm saying this kind of has a new meaning now. Again, it's important to remember that as good as 2000 mules is, 2000 mules is a partial story about election fraud. It is not the whole story. We can't simply get rid of mail-in ballots and drop boxes and ballot harvesting and all of that and expect that that is going to cure the election system. At the very bottom, the machines are the problem. Everybody who's ever paid attention to this knows it. The machines exist to perpetrate election fraud, and they benefit Democrats and Republicans. There is no practical need for machines. It is not hard to count one ballot plus one ballot plus one ballot plus one ballot. It always worked in the history of America until the last 20 years. Voting by hand worked. Now, I'm not saying that voting by hand eliminates the potential for fraud. There are still plenty of ballot stuffing techniques, plenty of stuff that goes on with the dirty voter registries. But the point is that we do not need machines to make the process more efficient. It certainly doesn't make the process more accurate. And the efficiency argument is also ridiculous because here we are 18 plus months later. And we still don't have the proper result of the 2020 election, not only at the presidential level, but all the way down the Senate, the Congress, your local politicians, your state politicians, all of it. We do not have accurate results. And we know that conclusively 2000 mules is good proof for people who are not familiar with any of these issues. And it's very helpful. Don't get me wrong, but it is not at all. The complete picture of election fraud. Now, Pete Ricketts is a very powerful establishment rhino in Nebraska. Whose state is Nebraska? Well, it's Warren Buffett's state. And there's an interesting connection that is relevant to make right now, and that's that in Arkansas, a man named Jake Beckett or Beckett. He was a college football player and an NFL player, and he is running for office in Arkansas, and. It turns out that the voting companies that prepare the Arkansas ballots and prepare the Arkansas machines are based in Nebraska. And rather than printing his name on the ballot and putting his name into the system properly as Jake Beckett, they put it in as Jack Beckett. And there's no way for him to get that fixed before his primary. Where does that all operate out of? Nebraska. That is an example of old school style machine politics, the establishment exerting pressure and applying the modern version of machine politics, which is intentional manipulation of election mechanisms to influence the outcome. But what else is establishment rhino Pete Ricketts doing? Well, Donald Trump put out a statement today. Today, the worst election integrity governor in the country, Brian Kemp, loaded the great state of Georgia up with rhinos. That's right. He had them all. Chris Christie, Doug Ducey from Arizona and Pete Ricketts from Nebraska. That tells you all you need to know about what you are getting in Georgia. Just a continuation of bad elections and a real rhino if you vote for Brian Kemp. Now, those are some pretty prominent rhinos. Chris Christie used to be the governor of New Jersey. He has run multiple times for president. He was part of Donald Trump's transition team. He was soon fired, and he has been a massive anti-Trump Republican ever since. And massive, no pun intended. Doug Ducey, the governor of Arizona, has turned a blind eye to election fraud for the entire time. In fact, While hearings were going on in Arizona, that series of Rudy Giuliani-led hearings about election fraud in the aftermath of November 3rd, 2020. While that was going on, Doug Ducey signed and certified the election. He refused a call from Donald Trump and went ahead and certified absolute obvious fraud. And of course, Brian Kemp has done the same thing in Georgia. Both men are responsible for their complicity with the stolen election of 2020. And again, not just at the Donald Trump level, Brian Kemp cost David Perdue and Kelly Leffler their Senate seats, and he accepted illegitimacy up and down Georgia politics. And then, of course, Pete Ricketts, establishment rhino in Nebraska, tied in with the Nebraska machine and was responsible for just launching a character attack on the Trump endorsed candidate in order to take him out or at least provide a narrative as to why he was taken out. Now, if those charges aren't true, and I certainly can't know if they are or not, but these kind of attacks have happened for years. We saw them try it many times with Donald Trump. Stormy Daniels, that whole thing that was made up and it was perpetuated by our mainstream media. They had Stormy Daniels and Michael Avenatti on TV 24 seven. Michael Avenatti is now in jail. Stormy Daniels owes Trump three hundred thousand dollars or maybe there was another one to it. It's I think it's upwards of half a million dollars for her false claims. And everyone just brushes that under the rug. No one hashtags me too in Donald Trump's defense because it's okay for the communists to abuse allegations of sexual assault and diminish the act of actual sexual assault in doing so because they're on the right side of everything. They can justify everything in the world because they think it's so important that their side wins. Because they all inadvertently walked themselves into a hate movement where absolutely everything in the world is prioritized above admitting the other side is right. Brian Kemp went and met with George W. Bush last week. Now he has part of the Republican establishment machine in Georgia supporting him. Why are these people all supporting one another? And I have speculated this before, but if we look around the country at career senators and governors, people who have been in the system a long time, I'm talking about people like Diane Feinstein and Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer and Susan Collins, all of these people who stay in office forever. Lindsey Graham, people who support the system at all costs. Mitch McConnell, just establishment Machine politicians, career politicians. You have to wonder if they're the ones who brought the election fraud machine into their state and if they're the ones who exert power to maintain the election fraud machine in their states. Why in the world, for instance, is Chris Christie still relevant? Did Chris Christie's reign in New Jersey turn New Jersey blue, deep blue or did Chris Christie help put the machine in place so that he would continue to be supported forever by the establishment? Doug Ducey and Brian Kemp seem to be guys that have made deals thinking that they were going to gain a whole lot more power when they agreed to go along with the obvious and overwhelming evidence of election fraud in the 2020 election. They just said, hey, I don't see a thing. Doug Ducey thought he was going to wind up being the Republican nominee for Senate in Arizona and that he would defeat Mark Kelly and be a United States senator. Well, that didn't work out so well because Doug Ducey got fully exposed and people realize that he does not have the back of Arizona's people or the people of the country. Brian Kemp losing in the primary would be a disaster for people like this and for the GOP establishment machine. Because if Brian Kemp isn't the nominee for governor and doesn't hand Stacey Abrams the election, if there is somebody else in there who's prepared to go after election fraud, who's standing up to the establishment machine when it comes to election fraud, well, that's going to be a major, major problem for the machine. So what you can see happening is the coalescence of these establishment forces trying to fortify their positions so that they can hope to keep the election fraud of 2020 unknown to the public. Brian Kemp is getting all of this support because Brian Kemp made a deal. That is what everyone should assume. And that's even outside of the fact that his daughter's boyfriend Harrison Deal was quite obviously murdered. His car blew up while he was driving and Brian Kemp then failed to call for a special session to review election fraud. Now, I don't know who anyone in the Republican establishment thinks that Doug Ducey, Pete Ricketts and Chris Christie are going to appeal to, but it's not. Georgia voters, they might be down there to try to sew things up and keep everything on track with Republican donors. Maybe they're trying to throw a big event for the most powerful people. So the most powerful people will do more to help them steal this election, potentially. I mean, Georgia is one of the most election fraud laden states in the country. There's no reason to believe they're not actively trying to steal this election for Brian Kemp. But they're going down there to make sure everything is sewn up nicely and to give the media something to cover that might make it look like Brian Kemp has momentum, that he has some actual support behind him. But he doesn't. No one supports Brian Kemp. So why are they down there? They have to protect the system. They have to protect the machine. Now, changing subjects without a segue this morning on Morning Joe they were having a discussion about the causes of inflation and how inflation actually turns out to be kind of bad, but not that bad. Here's Joe Scarborough. The conundrum of the year, really. It really has been. And of course, Biden uh, did try the Putin uh, gas hike. Uh, That certainly wasn't the case in the past. But as we move forward, Andrew, it looks like that's going to be the case more and more as we move forward, because we actually have rounded uh, perhaps the top. Uh, And there is a reason to believe that that a a lot of the forces on inflation actually are going to be decreasing over time. The one big exception to that, the one big exception because of the war Mm -hmm. is going to be energy prices. And at this point, at this point, Biden's uh, Putin tax uh, gas hike at this point, moving forward, starts to make more sense than it did a month ago. But by the way, it's it's the gas issue. But you were also talking about China COVID. You know, we haven't we haven't resolved that. So the supply chain problem that we're confronting, and it's not of our own doing. And the sad part is, there's nothing. If there's nothing, if you're if you're in this administration or uh, if you're a part of the GOP competing against this situation, saying these guys aren't doing it, it's not clear there's something they can do. So that's Joe Scarborough and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Now that clip from Scarborough is really interesting because he is doing something with the narrative that should be seen as an obvious manipulation of the child brains who still watch MSNBC. And this is, as I've said many times, one of the most depressing things. It is so depressing and so sad how little the host on MSNBC or CNN, the writers of the New York Times, etc. how little these people think of their own audience, that they will give them narratives like this and expect them to just accept them. And by the way, I'm not saying that they are underestimating their audience. Their audience continues to prove that it will believe anything they say. But nonetheless, it's really depressing. Because what they are doing by manipulating people's minds is actual cruelty. Okay, they are keeping those people from reengaging with reality and also reengaging with their friends and family and neighbors who they have essentially written off and abandoned so that they could keep their good social standing in whatever little societies they find themselves in. Whether it's the family or their kids' school community or their place of business or even for public figures, these people are afraid to admit that they were wrong about anything because if they do at this point, them being wrong about any of the subjects we discuss on a regular basis, well, that kind of brings down the whole thing and it makes them confront who they actually are, the things they've said, the things they've believed, the way they've acted to other people, the whole thing comes crashing down. It is actually cruel to continue lying to these people because it is pushing the moment of realization further away. It is pushing them deeper into the delusion, deeper into the false reality, and it makes them harder to get out. It is cruel. But let's think about what Scarborough is actually saying. Now, the mission of this segment on MSNBC is to tell people that Inflation actually is really bad, but it's not Joe Biden's fault. It's just something we all have to deal with. And Joe Scarborough wants to lay it at the feet of Putin. They have decided that the people are now prepared to believe that because they still hate Vladimir Putin, even though they have absolutely no idea what's going on in Ukraine. And they will not blame Joe Biden Because that would mean that they have to admit that Trump was better at something, that Trump's supporters were right about something. So they go deeper and deeper and deeper. And they're prepared to believe all of this because, as I said, they have inadvertently joined a hate movement. The biggest priority is making sure that Donald Trump and his supporters are wrong. They are the bad guys always. That is how they keep their self-image as the self-righteous, well-informed people that would never make wrong decisions about issues of consequence. Joe Scarborough is admitting, admitting that when Joe Biden and Jen Psaki and the rest of the fake administration was saying that the gas prices were up due to Putin's price hike. Well, that was false. A month or so ago, they were lying about it then. The truth was that gas prices were already through the roof and that the Ukraine and Russia situation had little or no effect on the gas prices. That was the reality. They lied. Joe Scarborough is admitting that they lied, but saying now their lie is becoming true. Back then, It wasn't Putin's price hike. Now it's becoming Putin's price hike. So think about this. If you're a member of Joe Scarborough's audience, okay, what happens when someone makes the claim in your presence that Joe Biden is responsible for high gas prices? Well, a month ago you said, no, this is Putin's price hike. And people argued against that. They made you feel insecure about your statements about Putin's price hike. It was ridiculous. Other people knew it. They made you feel stupid. So now a month has passed and Joe Scarborough brings it back up and he says, Hey, it wasn't Putin's price hike then, but it's about to be. So you can go right back to the thing you have already accepted. The thing you have already formed a belief about the thing that other people made you feel stupid for believing. And now you are going to believe it all over again with new fervor, because you will accept that it's about to happen, which means not only were you not wrong at the beginning, now you are prescient. Now you have special knowledge about how the markets work. Now, when you say it's Putin's price hike, no one will be able to challenge you. You can also deny that you ever believed it in the first place, or you can reframe and say that because you believed it back then and it's true now, you were way ahead of the game. And they will believe that it was false back then. The media said it. Joe Biden said it. Jen Psaki said it. All of the global communists and their state media blamed inflation on Putin's price hike. And then Scarborough shifts. And he says it actually looks like inflation might be about to decline on all of these other measures except energy. Now, there's no indication that inflation is declining in any part of the economy. That is something they are again making up. They will base that on one out of context statistic, and they will tell people that that whole inflation thing, it's going to be okay. And as long as people believe that they will put up with it in the short term. And once the short term turns into the long term, they'll just be used to it and they'll put up with it then, too, because it turns out it wasn't declining and it wasn't transitory. So all of the inflation is going down except energy and energy is once again Putin's price hike, which means that Joe Biden's administration is not responsible for any of the inflation because inflation is expected to decline, according to them. But the part of it that doesn't is Putin's price hike. So Putin's price hike went from being an out and out lie that people like Joe Scarborough repeated, knowing it was a lie. And now, it's the excuse for why Joe Biden is not responsible for inflation because inflation's going away, except for the energy thing, and that's Putin's fault. That is an extraordinary psychological manipulation. That is an incredible example of gaslighting. The people who will believe absolutely anything. And I'm sorry, I know people do not like when I group all these people together or criticize them. But if you still have not thought that any of the things that television has said for the last two years or five years or forever are wrong in important ways and obviously designed to lead people down a false path, then you are one of the stupidest people on the planet. OK, it's either you don't care at all or you are rock dumb and unable to get through this stuff. As a person with a full-size functioning adult brain. And then the real kicker is that Andrew Ross Sorkin, the MSNBC finance expert, says it's not clear anything can really be done to help the inflation problem. Well, you could stop spending money the country doesn't have. That would help. You could stop falsely injecting cash into an economy that is not functioning properly because every policy that the illegitimate communist administration pursues makes the economy worse and drives inflation. You could stop doing that stuff. You could go back to Donald Trump's policies and you could easily put America back on the road to energy independence, which means Putin's price hike is irrelevant, but they won't do any of that stuff because they have to solve racism, solve homophobia, protect the sovereign borders of Ukraine and save the planet from the sun. Now, the House of Representatives has passed a $40 billion aid package for Ukraine with 149 Republicans joining Democrats to vote for that abomination. And they had another vote last night as well, where only 10 Republicans dissented to streamlining our ability to send aid to Ukraine. Thomas Massey tweeted Congress just authorized Biden to transfer virtually any weapon of war other than a nuclear weapon to Ukraine. And he put out a screenshot of a piece of the bill any weapon, weapon system, munition, aircraft, vessel, boat, or other implement of war, any property, installation, commodity, material, equipment, supply, or goods used for the purposes of making military sales, any machinery, facility, tool, material, supply, or any other item necessary for manufacture, production, processing, repair, servicing, storage, construction, transportation, operation or use of any article listed in this paragraph and any component or part of any article listed in this paragraph, but does not include merchant vessels or as defined by the Atomic Energy Act of 1954 source material, except uranium depleted in the isotope 235, which is incorporated in defense articles solely to take advantage of high density or pyrophoric characteristics unrelated to radioactivity byproduct material, special nuclear material, production facilities, utilization facilities, or atomic weapons or articles involving restricted data. Those are the new standards for what's allowed to be easily sent to Ukraine for a war we're not in, in a situation where America has no actual national interest. Why does America need to protect the sovereign borders of Ukraine from Russia? And if you ask this to any of the people who are out there, hashtag standing with Ukraine, any of the people who are all for sending our money and equipment to arm Ukrainian Nazis, all of those people ask them. What is America's national interest in Ukraine? And they will have absolutely no idea. So what will they say? They'll say, we need to protect Ukraine's sovereign borders. We need to protect Ukraine's people. We need to remove Putin from power. We need to weaken Putin's military. We need to support the NATO alliance. We need to support the EU. We need to prevent Vladimir Putin from reuniting the Soviet Union. Those are all things they heard on television that they also cannot explain. So you ask them, okay, explain why Ukraine's sovereign borders are important to the United States and they can't do it. Ask them to explain what indication they have that Putin is interested in reunifying the Soviet Union and they can't do it. They don't know any of the facts that make up any of their claims, but they will repeat the claims they heard on TV because one of them must be right. And they will expect that you must agree with one of them. Even the other side must agree with something, I believe. No, we don't agree with any of those things and you can't substantiate any of them. So here's the thing. Stop saying them. Not a single person has outlined at any point, what America's actual national interest in Ukraine is? What is the interest of the people in Ukraine? There is no answer to that question. And yet we're going to send them 40 billion more dollars. A week ago, it was 33 billion, but that wasn't enough because now they have to pay off other people too. no one knows where this money's going to go. Rand Paul yesterday brought up that he wanted to add an amendment to the Ukraine spending. That says there's going to be a watchdog. There's going to be extreme oversight. Now, that seems like a pretty good way to provide cover for all the Republican senators that are going to vote to go along with this. Oh, yeah. Well, yes, we decided that it was very important to give all this money to Ukraine, but there's going to be oversight. No, there's not. Even if that amendment passes, does anyone trust the government to do its own oversight about sending $40 billion to one of the most corrupt places on the entire planet? At best, the money is going to support Nazi battalions and foreign mercenaries and the cover up of massive political corruption by our own officials, including the illegitimate president. There won't be any oversight. They're bringing up this amendment to make it look like the Republicans are looking out for the American people. Well, yeah, it's necessary that we send this money, but we'll, sh- we'll be sure to keep track of it this time. We haven't kept track of any money we've spent for the last six decades, but this time, oh, we're going to watch it like a hawk. And you'll get the Marco Rubio's and Lindsey Graham's of the world saying, oh yeah, it's very important that we have this oversight board, but it's also very important we give them $40 billion. What are we going to do if the comedic actor doesn't have enough money to go out and arm more very brave Ukrainian citizens? Yeah, you dorks. Nobody believes that nobody believes it. It's like your little special hobby, your little inside story that you're just going to tell everybody and you're going to hope that no one actually takes the initiative to call you on it like, hey, thanks for saying you're finally going to do oversight, even though that's admitting that you don't do oversight on anything else. But why are you sending Ukraine $40 billion? What's it for? What's the goal of this money? Oh, you've got millions set aside for gender studies in Ukraine. So great. It would be nice if at least they were honest and just said, hey, guys, these are payoffs to NGOs. We don't have a choice. We're kind of under the gun here. We agreed to go along with the whole program. This is what we have to do. And uh, yeah, we got to transfer this money. We owe people. We promised them. So sorry, we're going to further enslave the next few generations of your children to permanent American debt. But don't worry, it's not going to feel like debt. You'll just own nothing and be happy. We'll give you some money every month. You don't even have to work. We're bringing slaves into the country for that. And what is the current public sentiment that these politicians are pretending to represent regarding Ukraine? Well, this is from Express UK over the weekend. Shock poll reveals Americans are okay with Ukraine losing the war with Putin's Russia. The monthly Democracy Institute slash Express UK poll of 1500 Americans who are likely voters has shown that 43% are okay with Ukraine losing compared to 41% not okay, while 16% have no opinion. Hey guys, if you don't have an opinion on whether or not you're okay with Ukraine losing, you're okay with Ukraine losing. This comes despite the heroic attempts of Ukraine President Zelensky to garner worldwide support against the Russian invasion. But Democracy Institute has warned that the reason for this is cynicism of government policies created by the fact at least half of Americans thought they were hoodwinked over COVID lockdowns. Oh, you got that? Because people were lied to about covid. Now they're not going along with what they're supposed to about Ukraine. (laughs) They sound so disappointed. In another worrying development, Americans also appear to be losing confidence in the sanctions regime against Vladimir Putin's Russia, with 53 percent believing it hurts the USA more with the cost of living crisis, the top political issue. The findings are yet another blow to the Democrats and Joe Biden, with voters clearly showing their intention to back the Republicans in midterm elections in November by 50 percent to 42 percent. While Biden polls negatively in all policy areas, one of the worst is foreign policy, where 56 percent disapprove compared to 40 percent who approve. This follows the catastrophic handling of the Afghanistan withdrawal in 2021, but also appears to have shattered confidence in in his Russia-Ukraine policy. In fact, according to the poll for a second month in a row, more Americans believe it would be better for Biden to leave office than Putin by 53 percent to 44 percent. What more do you need to say than that? The illegitimate president, the majority of Americans prefer the illegitimate president to leave office rather than Vladimir Putin to step down as president of Russia. That is incredible. Only 38% approve of Biden's handling of the Ukraine crisis, compared to 52% who disapprove. And there is a reluctance to have Putin removed from power by 48% to 46%. So Americans are not interested in regime change either, which might explain why the White House walked back Biden's comments when he encouraged regime change while giving a speech in Poland. They also see Russia as the fourth biggest threat at 16 percent behind China, Iran and North Korea. The findings show that foreign policy has not saved Biden's presidency, and now 63 percent do not believe he will be reelected in 2024 in every scenario against different Democrats. Donald Trump would easily win, according to the poll, opening the possibility of his expected comeback. Added to that, if the Republicans win big majorities in the House of Representatives and the Senate, Biden will be facing potential impeachment proceedings similar to those instigated against Trump by Democrats. And the article goes on to rehash the impeachment claims of the past. So once again, ask the question, who are these Congressmen and we should see today or tomorrow who these senators are and who they are representing because they are clearly not representing the will of the people. Nothing could be more obvious than that. They are writing checks in the American people's name that the American people will have to work off so they can launder money around the world, enrich arms dealers, enrich global bankers. And keep their effort in Ukraine going. Ukraine is one of the hubs of global communist corruption, and they are shipping American money over there. And Representative Thomas Massey, who, by the way, just secured Trump's endorsement for reelection, tweeted this morning, counting last night's rushed vote, Congress has now spent more money on Ukraine in six months than we spend on all U.S. roads and bridges in a year. Something to think about next time you are stuck in traffic or replacing a bent rim. And that's exactly right. Forty billion dollars. Just a few weeks ago, all of the people on their side were saying that Elon Musk's 40 some odd billion dollars shouldn't be spent on Twitter. It should be spent solving world hunger. But now it's just fine because they're sending it to the comedic actor and the very, very brave citizens of Ukraine who the comedic actor armed. They're actually the ones fighting this war. And it's not Nazis and foreign mercenaries. We're just going to push that off to the side. Pretend it doesn't exist. It's just 10,000 brave Ukrainian citizens armed by the comedic actor and Malcolm Nance. Now, there's a really interesting story that caught my eye last night. It was printed yesterday in the South China Morning Post and on RT, which is Russia Today. Now, RT is consistently called a state media website by our mainstream media in America and by media in Europe as well. And they tried to get RT shut down all over the place. It was taken off YouTube and censored all over. And I've discussed before how this should be looked at in a uh, good twin versus evil twin sense, we have the actual global communist state media, all of the mainstream Western news outlets, all telling the same story at the same time, that story always supporting the global communist agenda, or at least supporting adherence to the central narrative so that the global communist agenda can make its way through without resistance. These media outlets will take slightly different views of things and report slightly different facts, but they will never try to divert anyone from strict adherence to the central narrative. They are absolutely a global state media, and they are out calling other news outlets state media. Should we believe the mainstream media outlets who lie to us about everything when they tell us that RT or some other outlet is state media? I would say, no, we shouldn't. In fact, we should assume the very opposite until it's proven otherwise. Now, you could think that I'm saying all of this because I'm a Russian propagandist and I'm about to go through an RT article and I'm trying to provide myself cover before I go and disseminate Russian propaganda. And that is pretty obviously just a way to dismiss dissenting points of view. If you call someone a Russian propagandist, then you can question their loyalty, question their motivations as to why they're saying this sort of thing. And the people who are doing that, by the way, have an express loyalty to the global community. They never argue in favor for the sovereignty of any nation, certainly not the United States of America. So I will never, ever accept that claim from those people. It is ridiculous. And what does the assertion even amount to? By the way, I'm a propagandist for sharing an article from RT. What is my intended goal? I want to see Putin rise to power and then dominate the globe. I'll gladly give the United States of America's own sovereignty away to Vladimir Putin because I'm reading RT articles. Give me a break again. The people making those claims are are actively involved in giving away American sovereignty to globalist institutions. And we talked about that yesterday on the podcast with the World Health Assembly about to vote to eliminate each and every country's sovereign powers by turning global governance over to the World Health Organization. They can declare pandemics anytime they want and then tell countries how they must respond. That is an end to national sovereignty. These people are always pushing for the end of national sovereignty. They actually believe that the term nationalism is bad and dangerous and racist. All it means is that you care about your nation and that you want your nation to thrive It is not even the claim that you want your nation to thrive at the expense of other nations. It's just that the priorities of your nation must come first to you. I fully support the people of France believing that their nation should be prioritized by the French government. And the same holds true for every other nation. I dissent from the global state media, I dissent from the global communist agenda. Because I care about America. It's not so that I can down the road, hand America over to Vladimir Putin. It's comically stupid. And here's the thing before I share the article from RT. The same claims were now also reported today at Sky News and Forbes and the Wall Street Journal. So is the Russia Today article fake news? Doesn't seem to be. Here it is. The headline Ukraine turns off Europe bound gas. Now, that is not something anyone was expecting, was it? We have been told again and again and again that Vladimir Putin is threatening to turn off the gas to Europe, and European countries continue to rely on Russian energy, which means at many points. Over the last two and a half months, those European countries have refused to go along with the United States agenda, the global agenda in Ukraine, because their countries are dependent on Russian resources and Russia's willingness to keep selling them oil and natural gas. Knowing that, you can see pretty clearly that a reduction in supply can negatively affect those nations. They are taking action in correspondence with that principle. If nations are acting based on their dependence on Russian energy, then you can infer that they do, in fact, depend on Russian energy. So why would Ukraine be stopping that energy flow? Keep that in mind as we go through the article. Russian gas conglomerate Gazprom has received no confirmation of force majeure or any obstacles to continued transit of gas through a junction in Lugansk region. The company said on Tuesday after Ukraine's operator OGTSU announced it would halt further deliveries starting May 11th, that's today, due to the presence of quote unquote Russian occupiers. Now, force majeure is basically considered something beyond the control of either party. And often it's considered like an act of God, a natural disaster, something that would actually stop Russia from supplying the oil and natural gas and from Ukraine being able to continue to transport it. And so Ukraine is basically breaking the contract with Gazprom and claiming it's because of force majeure. And that's the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Gas Transit Services of Ukraine, OGTSU, declared force majeure on Tuesday, saying that it was impossible to continue the transit of gas through a connection point and compressor station located in the Lugansk area. As OGTSU personnel, quote, cannot carry out operational and technological control, end quote, over the Sovkranovka connector point and the Novopskov compressor station, the company cannot continue to fulfill its contractual obligations. It said gas from this connection will not be accepted into the transit system of Ukraine starting at 7 a.m. on Wednesday, OGTSU said. Sokranovka accounts for almost a third of the Russian gas that transits through Ukraine to Europe, up to 32.6 million cubic meters per day, according to the operators. Gazprom has received no confirmation of force majeure or disruption of operations at Sokranovka or Novopskov, company spokesman Sergei Kuprianov said on Tuesday. He added that Ukrainian specialists have had full access to both facilities all along, and there had been no complaints about it previously. Kupriyanov also said that Gazprom has been notified by Ukraine's gas company, Naftogaz, that if Russia continues to supply gas through Sokhranovka, Kiev will reduce the volume at the point of exit by the same amount, effectively confiscating the gas. While OGTSU has proposed to reroute the gas to Sudza, a connector located in the Sumy region and controlled by the Ukrainian government, Kuprianov said this was technologically impossible. The distribution of volumes is clearly spelled out in the cooperation agreement dated December 30th, 2019, and the Ukrainian side is well aware of this, he said. Gazprom is fulfilling all of its obligations to its European customers with all the transit services in accordance with the terms of the contract and paid in full. Kupriyanov pointed out Moscow has continued gas deliveries to Europe, including transit through Ukraine, regardless of the ongoing military operation and the embargoes against Russia imposed by the U.S. and its allies in the EU. Now, my first thought upon seeing all of this last night is that. This seems like a disruption, like something that clearly goes against the central narrative. We are being told we have been told. And again, remember earlier, Putin's price hike, Putin's gas hike. Putin is going to cut off energy to Europe. Putin is threatening to cut off energy to Europe. We've heard all of this over and over and over again. Putin is destroying the energy markets because he is threatening To cut off the energy supply of European nations and that would wreak havoc on those countries and those countries have refused to go along with sanctions against Russia and other restrictions that the U.S. and its allies have pushed for the sanctions and those other measures were meant to stop Russia from advancing. But some of the European nations refused to go along with them because of what it would do to their countries. So here we are with Ukraine deciding to do what Russia would not do. They are now shutting down the energy supplies to parts of Europe on their own by choice. And in the morning yesterday, I was listening to the Lou Dobbs podcast. Colonel Douglas McGregor joined Lou Dobbs to talk about all sorts of things. And Colonel McGregor is always fantastic. But one really interesting thing he said was that we keep talking about NATO as if there is all this broad decision making power. He was like, NATO is the United States. Effectively saying that the NATO decisions are actually the the decisions of The fake administration and obviously any decision by the fake administration is coming from levels higher than the fake administration within the global communist order. And of course, we know Ukraine's importance to those very same people. We also know that they want to continue this war in Ukraine. They are pushing for more war. They are sending billions and billions of dollars. They want to maintain their sanctions against the Russian people. They want to weaken Russia's military. But various European countries have refused to go along with what they clearly want to have happen. So I have to wonder if this gas cutoff that is initiated by Ukraine and seems baseless, they're claiming force majeure, but there is nothing actually stopping that oil and natural gas from continuing to travel from Russia through Ukraine and into Europe. It is a decision. It is a proactive decision. So you have to wonder, is this the U.S. and NATO actually holding Europe's energy supply over the heads of these European leaders of these countries who haven't yet gotten on board with the entire program? Is this actually a direct threat by the American evil twin against the countries and the citizens of Europe? Because what is the end goal here otherwise? Now, there was an interesting little tidbit in the Sky News article about all of this, and they noted that although this gas, these imports represent As much as a quarter of the fuel supply in Europe, it is more than compensated for by higher volumes from Norway and the Netherlands. Now, that remains to be seen. I am not an energy expert. I don't know if Norway and the Netherlands can make up for that Russian supply. The piece noted that Germany's energy regulator says gas imports are stable despite Ukraine blocking a pipeline from Russia today. Gazprom admits Ukraine has left only one entry point for transiting Russian gas to Europe and that this is undermining the security of gas supplies. And just a couple of minutes ago, Germany is examining a Russian announcement that it is imposing sanctions on parts of Gazprom Germania, the former German unit of Russian gas producer Gazprom. Gazprom Germania and its subsidiaries operate gas storage facilities and gas trading in Germany and are co-owners of gas pipelines. The German government and federal network agency as trustees of Gazprom Germania are already in the process of taking the necessary precautions and preparing for various scenarios. The German economy ministry said gas supplies are currently guaranteed and constantly checked. It added. The network agency released a similar statement saying it had no further information and was preparing for different scenarios. Russia's Gazprom gave up ownership of the firm last month without explanation, forcing Germany's energy network regulator to take control of operations there. And that is interesting as well. Russia just gave up on running that part of Germany's energy sector. Why? Well, now it can't be blamed on Russia if something goes wrong anymore. I'm obviously speculating that that's the reason I could be way off base about that. But it's something to look at if there's clearly no other explanation. So I am really interested to see how this develops. I'm really interested to see if the fake administration begins trying to blame this on Russia. If they come out forcefully saying that Russia is responsible for this stoppage in energy flow then it's pretty clear that the U.S. is actually the one stopping this. It would be extremely difficult to be able to claim that this is Russia's doing. And the fact that Sky News and the Wall Street Journal agree with RT.com should at least give some assurance that the underlying event that these stories are based on is true. That Ukraine really is claiming force majeure and stopping the transit of fuel supplies themselves. While this was initially portrayed as something Russia would do to leverage its strength in opposition to Europe, it now seems that the U.S. slash NATO slash the global communist order is exercising their leverage against the countries of Europe. And then there's this on fortune.com. This is from May 7th, just a few days ago. Europe has just months to replace nearly half its energy supplies by cutting off Russia. It's not a sure thing at all. For two months now, it's been an awkward, even tragic truth that Western Europe is indirectly funding Russia's war on Ukraine. There's just no readily available alternative to Russian energy imports for major countries that oppose the war, primarily Germany. Most European countries say they are determined to switch their energy supplies, but it's not as easy as it is in, say, the U.S. Russia has long dominated Europe's energy market, supplying the continent with 40 percent of its natural gas and 25 percent of its oil. This week, EU leaders unveiled a plan for the contingent to begin progressively phasing out Russian oil imports before the end of the year. Europe is already scouring the globe for new supply lines for gas, oil and diesel fuel, signing off on new trade deals in the Americas, Africa, the Middle East and India, as well as an increased focus on local energy production. But gearing up for winter with fewer Russian energy imports is still a tall order. And the article goes on. Feel free to check it out. But that is not clearly stating, as Sky News did, that the cutoff of Russian energy can be easily replaced by Norway and the Netherlands. So again, this seems like a move to leverage power against European countries to make them fall in line with the agenda. And finally, there's this from today as well. Briefing on the results of analysis of documents related to the military biological activities of the United States on the territory of Ukraine. And this is from the Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs. That's who posted it. So maintain a level of skepticism. Think about what claims can be substantiated. The Russian Defense Ministry continues to study materials on the implementation of military biological programs of the United States and its NATO allies on the territory of Ukraine. It's kind of weird how they're not saying within the sovereign borders of the country of Ukraine. We have already mentioned Robert Pope, director of the Cooperative Threat Reduction Program and author of the idea of this central depository of highly dangerous microorganisms in Kiev. In his statement of April 10th, 2022, Pope said that, quote, there is no reason to claim that research related to the development of biological weapons is taking place in Ukraine, end quote. He previously claimed that, quote, the Americans did not find biological weapons when they first started working with Ukraine, and they still haven't. In addition, Ukraine lacks the infrastructure to develop and produce biological weapons. All of that is patently observably false. I would like to recall that the term biological weapons includes biological formulations that contain pathogenic microorganisms and toxins, as well as the means of delivery and use of said formulations. Okay, so that is what the biological weapon is. It is the dangerous pathogen and also delivery systems and methods being studied. We are aware that all of this stuff has happened in Ukraine biological laboratories. The claim when the U.S. took over these laboratories as part of an effort by Barack Obama and Dick Lugar in 2005 was that there were Russian biological weapons programs that the U.S. needed to defend and protect. That's why we're over there in those labs in the first place. So to claim that there have never been biological weapons there is nuts. Also, when this whole thing started February 24th, the WHO sent a letter to the Ukrainian bio labs requesting, directing them to destroy the dangerous pathogens in those labs. Okay, so the presence of dangerous pathogens is beyond question. The issue is whether or not they are biological weapons programs. Well, what they are is dual use research of concern. They can say that they are studying these dangerous pathogens, figuring out how to prevent pandemics, but they're not weaponizing them. Even still, Victoria Newland admitted in Senate testimony that those dangerous pathogens could be weaponized if they fell into the wrong hands. All of this fits the literal definition of dual-use research of concern. The other use is a weapons program. So the denial of biological weapons in these Ukrainian labs is utterly insane. While the priority for Ukrainian healthcare care is socially significant diseases such as HIV, poliomyelitis, measles, and hepatitis, U.S. customers are interested in a completely different nomenclature cholera tularemia plague and hantaviruses as a result of the special military operation on the territory of Ukraine f- facts of work with the specified pathogens which are potential agents of biological weapons have been revealed at the same time it was noted that Ukraine had sent a request to the manufacturing company regarding the possibility of equipping the Bayraktar drones with aerosol equipment so now you are starting to form a picture of the delivery methods. And we also know from prior information divulged by the Russians and denied by the United States and its Western ally partners, just to be clear and just to be fair, but agreed with by countries representing half the world's population. China, India, Brazil, Russia, all on board with investigations into what the U S defense department was funding at these biological facilities in Ukraine. That information shows that those labs were studying migration patterns of birds over Russia with the idea that these birds would disseminate the virus in Russia's population. They were also studying the effects of these pathogens on people of Slavic ethnicity. This has always been clearly a biological weapons program and clearly quite evil. In addition, on March 9th, three unmanned aerial vehicles equipped with 30-liter containers and equipment for spraying formulations were detected by Russian reconnaissance units in the Kursan region. At the end of April, 10 more were found near Kakovka. All this information calls into question the statements of American experts. We have previously provided a scheme for U.S. coordination of biological laboratories and research institutes in Ukraine. Its preliminary analysis suggests that Ukraine is essentially a testing ground for the development of biological weapons components and the testing of new samples of pharmaceuticals. And in the past years, there have been outbreaks of various viral pathogens in Ukraine. Shocking. I wonder if they were targeting ethnic Russians in the eastern regions of Ukraine because they have been engaged in a civil war with ethnic Russians in the eastern regions of Ukraine since 2014, when the U.S. and its allies overthrew the Ukrainian government and installed their own. And I wonder what the Nazi involvement was. Oh, wait, we already know what the Nazi involvement is. The Russian Ministry of Defense was able to clarify the said scheme. It should be noted that the ideologues of U.S. military biological activities in Ukraine are the leaders of the Democratic Party. Thus, through the U.S. executive branch, a legislative framework for funding military biomedical research directly from the federal budget was formed. Funds were raised under state guarantees from NGOs controlled by the Democratic Party leadership, including the investment funds of the Clintons, Rockefellers, Soros and Biden. And here's the thing. This was distributed by Russia's Ministry of Foreign Affairs. But the claims in this article are verifiable on their own. And the Russian ministry also released the supporting documents for all of this. So people are free to deny this and everyone should be skeptical because of the source. But that is when you go ahead and try to verify the claims made, see which stuff you can back up, see which stuff is just opinion. So far, this stuff can be backed up. The scheme involves major pharmaceutical companies, including Pfizer, Moderna, Merck, and the U.S. military affiliated company Gilead. U.S. experts are working to test new medicines that circumvent international safety standards. As a result, Western companies are seriously reducing the cost of research programs and gaining a significant competitive advantage. And again, that points to one of the reasons why the United States does all of this research on foreign shores in places like the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Is it really a stretch to believe that the same thing that was happening At the Wuhan Institute of Virology in conjunction with the Chinese Communist Party and the People's Liberation Army could also be happening in Ukraine, one of the most corrupt places in the world under the control of the global communist order, the involvement. Of controlled, non-governmental and biotechnological organizations and the increase in their revenues allows the leaders of the Democratic Party to generate additional campaign finance and hide its distribution. In addition to U.S. pharmaceutical companies and Pentagon contractors, Ukrainian state agencies are involved in military bioweapons activities whose main tasks are to conceal illegal activities, conduct field and clinical trials and provide the necessary biomaterial. Thus, the U.S. Department of Defense using a virtually internationally uncontrolled test site and the high tech facilities of multinational companies has greatly expanded its research capabilities, not only in the field of biological weapons, but also in gaining knowledge about antibiotic resistance and the antibodies to specific diseases in populations in specific regions. And when you hear stuff like that, You might want to think about back in 2020 when the television was telling us it was racist not to wear masks because coronavirus affects black people worse. Coronavirus was created in a lab. If we are to accept the basic premises of the coronavirus existing and being the cause for what happened in 2020, that is questionable enough. And I accept that. But nonetheless, we were told again and again that the lab created bioweapon would be worse on black people. And we are just supposed to imagine that that is random. It is a factor of the oppression of black people in the United States. Now, I'm going to jump down a bit because the article is fairly long and I don't want to make this podcast an hour and a half long. New documents reveal that between 2016 and 2019 alone, three and a half thousand blood serum samples of citizens living in 25 regions of Ukraine were taken by military epidemiologists from the Bundeswehr Microbiology Institute. The involvement of institutions subordinate to the Bundeswehr confirms the military orientation of biological research carried out in Ukrainian laboratories and raises questions about the goals pursued by the German armed forces in collecting biomaterials of Ukrainian citizens. The documents obtained also show the involvement of Poland in Ukrainian bio laboratories, and that might speak to Poland's continued approval of what the U S and NATO are gunning for Poland, as much as any country in Europe is continuing to help perpetuate the situation there. The participation of the Polish Institute of veterinary medicine in research aimed at assessing the epidemiological threats and spread of the rabies virus in Ukraine has been confirmed. Characteristically, the research in question was carried out jointly with the U.S.-based Battelle Institute, a key contractor for the Pentagon. In addition, Polish funding for the Lvov Medical University, which includes a member of U.S. military biology projects, the Institute of Epidemiology and Hygiene, has been documented. The organization has been running a retraining program for specialists with experience of working with dual-use materials and technologies since 2002. The special military operation by Russian troops succeeded in obtaining additional information about bioincidents in Ukraine. And we were told by the Russians back in March that they had a whole lot more information about the biolabs programs and that we would see that information over time. So that could be what's happening right here. For example, materials indicating the intentional use of a multi-drug resistant tuberculosis pathogen in 2020 to infect the population of the Slavia district of the LPR were examined. That's the Lugansk region in the Donbass, where the fighting is. The flyers, made in the form of counterfeit currency notes were infected with the tuberculosis agent and distributed to minors in Stepovo village. The organizers of this crime took into account the behavior of children who have a habit of putting everything in their mouths and taking food with unwashed hands. You got that? So they infected counterfeit money with a tuberculosis pathogen and then directed it into the hands of the children of ethnic Russians in the Donbass. The results of bacteriological studies have confirmed the resistance of the isolated bacteria to first and second line anti TB drugs, meaning that the disease caused by them is much more difficult to treat and the cost of treatment is much higher according to the conclusion of the Lugansk Republican Sanitary and Epidemiological Station, quote, the contamination of the notes was most likely carried out artificially as the material contains extremely dangerous strains of the pathogen in concentrations capable of ensuring infection and development of the tuberculosis process. In his conclusion, the chief doctor of the Lugansk Republican TB dispensary also notes that, quote, there are signs of deliberate man-made contamination of the flyers with highly pathogenic biomaterial, end quote. And I'm going to try to speed through the rest of this because it's important. We previously reported on trials of potentially dangerous biological drugs on one of the least protected categories of people, patients of the Kharkov Regional Clinical Psychiatric Hospital Number 3. We have received new information revealing details of the Pentagon's inhuman experiments on Ukrainian citizens in psychiatric hospital number one, Strelaki village, Kharkov region. The main categories of subjects was a group of male patients aged 40 to 60 years with a high stage of physical exhaustion. In order to conceal their U.S. affiliation, the biological research experts traveled via third countries. Here is a photograph of Florida native Linda Oporto, who was directly involved in these works in January 2022. The foreign nationals conducting the experiments were evacuated in an emergency, and the equipment and drugs they were using were taken to Western Ukraine. And of course, in Western Ukraine, there is more protection by the Kiev regime, Russian defense ministry specialists have carried out work directly in two bio laboratories in Mariupol. Evidence of emergency destruction of documents confirming work with the U.S. military establishment was obtained. A preliminary analysis of extant documentations indicates the use of Mariupol as a regional center for cholera pathogen collection and certification. The selected strains were sent to the public health care center in Kyiv, which is responsible for the onward shipment of biomaterials to the United States. These activities have been carried out since 2014, as evidenced by the transfer of strains. There's 2014 again, the year the United States overthrew the Ukrainian government in a coup and installed Petro Poroshenko, who now appears on MSNBC and CNN, to tell all of the child brains in the United States how very important it is to continue funding Ukrainian Nazis to support the comedic actor. An act of destruction of the pathogen collection dated February 25th, 2022, according to which cholera, tularemia, and anthrax pathogens were handled there was found in the sanitary and epidemiological laboratory. Part of the collection of the veterinary laboratory was not destroyed in a hurry. In order to ensure safety and secure storage, 124 strains were exported by Russian specialists and their study was organized. The presence in the collection of pathogens that are uncharacteristic of veterinary medicine, such as typhoid, paratyphoid fever, and gas gangrene is a cause for concern. This could indicate the laboratory's misuse and involvement in a military biological program. We will continue to examine the full volume of material received from the Mariupol Bio Laboratories and inform you about the results. The Russian Ministry of Defense has information that provocations are being prepared to accuse the Russian armed forces of using weapons of mass destruction, followed by a Syrian scenario investigation to fabricate the necessary evidence and assign blame. And again, this is why it's so important to talk about this stuff before we get the narrative from the Western state media. No one wants to see another Syrian incident. The high likelihood of such provocations is confirmed by requests from the Kiev administration for personal skin and respiratory protection equipment that provides protection against toxic chemicals and biological contaminating agents. Okay, so they are preparing to protect themselves from this sort of event. The supply to Ukraine of organophosphorus poisoning antidotes raises concerns. In 2022 alone, more than 220,000 ampules of atropine, as well as preparations for special treatment and disinfection, were delivered from the USA at the request of the Ukrainian Ministry of Health. Thus, The information obtained confirms that the United States is implementing an offensive military biological program in Ukraine to study the possibility of forming controlled epidemics in specific territories. The special military operation of the Russian armed forces has crossed the U S military biological expansion in Ukraine and stopped criminal experiments on civilians. Now, again, No one has to take the word of the Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, but it's worth recognizing how many of these claims can be backed up and how substantially they are backed up. And we still, to this point, have not had any explanation whatsoever from the fake administration. They keep denying the existence of these programs while admitting the existence of these programs. They're just saying, no, 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 you, you're you misunderstanding what our programs were doing. Well, the evidence was there at the beginning and it wasn't denied. We were just diverted. We were meant to believe something else about this situation. Okay, I see you got all those facts, but the thing is, you're just too stupid. You're a conspiracy theorist. You don't understand what all those facts mean. So let us reinterpret those facts for you and then just simply take our word for it. Well, now we have a whole lot more claims. And if all these claims Are substantiated, and if these claims aren't denied, then what we have is something incredibly sick. We have the evil twin in the United States working with its global communist allies to commit genocide via biological weapons to harm Russia, the Russian people, and people of Russian ethnic heritage. And it might be time to realize. That the evil twins' affiliation with Ukrainian Nazis is not some random accident. It is what the whole thing is about. And honestly, Vladimir Putin said that from the very beginning. While our fake administration can't say a single true or coherent thing about what's happening over there. Now, before I go, hey, everybody please check out the rumble channel or check it out on bit shooter odyssey, whatever you prefer, watch the new videos, share them, share the podcast. I would appreciate all of that. And also I'm going to post something about this on telegram today, but I was on Joe Rogan's site last night and there is actually a contact tab where you can email the bookers for Joe Rogan. And I'm going to make use of that. I think you all should now, If you want to recommend me for Rogan, wonderful, honestly, wonderful, but that is not what I'm requesting. I am requesting that you recommend who you think is right to go on that show myself. I would immediately say Garrett Ziegler needs to be on Joe Rogan. That would be a world changing event. Seth Keschel should be on Joe Rogan. That would be a world changing event. The true, the vote team. Catherine Engelbrecht and Greg Phillips, they should be on Joe Rogan. That would be a world-changing event. Now, I'll red pill the hell out of some normies who still pay attention to Joe Rogan and think that he's on the cutting edge of information, but I am not requesting to be your first priority or for there to be some coordinated campaign to get me on Rogan. Although, hey, if you want to do it, that's your business. I am more than happy to go on there. But let's make some movement on this. Let's get some of the critical voices in the movement of the last two years. Let's get them some broader platforms. If we get any of those characters on Joe Rogan, game changer. So please give that a look. Please support the show however you possibly can. Please share the show. And I will be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work